0: From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Andrew Kenny, here with my colleague Benta Berkland in Denver, and Caitlin Kim, who's in Washington, D.C.
1: And this season, we'll be talking weekly through Election Day about what's happening with the campaigns, what we're hearing from voters, and what it all means for
0: Colorado. So first, let's talk about what races we're really paying attention to in Colorado that we're going to be talking about from now through Election Day. What we know so far is that this probably won't be the state that decides the presidential election, but we could have a huge effect on the balance of the U.S. Senate, and it's another data point as we try to chart Colorado's political change. Will the state still be purple or purplish, or is it headed solidly into the blue column?
2: I think that's right. In the U.S. Senate race between Republican incumbent Cory Gardner and Democrat John Hickenlooper is the big contest everyone will be watching, especially nationally, because it could determine which party controls the U.S. Senate. I've talked to some voters who were pretty informed on the presidential race and policies, but they weren't mm. following the Senate race too much yet. I think it's going to be somewhat difficult to avoid in the coming weeks because we're going to see a lot more ads and spending and flyers and already super PACs and dark money nonprofits. They've spent more than or or close to $30 million targeting the senators.
0: Both sides clearly see an opportunity there.
2: Exactly.
1: And it's not just the the Senate race. There's at least one and potentially one and a half interesting congressional races (laughs) as well.
2: So one's only half interesting, huh?
1: Eh, We'll get into that later. But yeah, we'll talk about CD3, which is The biggest district in the state covers all of the western slope. In the south, it crosses the San Luis Valley and goes into Pueblo and I mean it is it is huge
0: you put a lot of miles on the rental car right
1: <laughs> yes far too many miles <laughs> and it there was an upset as we all remember this spring when uh, incumbents got tipped and lost to his Republican challenger his primary challenger Lauren Boebert so mm. the seat is like an open seat um, with no incumbent it's made people think that you know Democrats are thinking maybe this is the year that they can take the seat back Republicans now are really on the, the defensive to make sure they keep the seat in their column um, and I did hear from a a lot of Republicans and and even some unaffiliated voters that at least when it comes to this seat, it's not necessarily the Republican-Democratic divide that's going to sort of help them decide they really want someone who's going to speak up for rural Colorado.
2: Though, as you point out, it's very diverse in terms of what those parts of the state are like and what those communities are like from Pueblo and Grand Junction to some some places like Aspen and Durango and and every place in between. So it makes it challenging to have that message that's going to resonate.
1: Yeah, and then the the half race that I I will like to would like to mention mm. is the CD six race the congressional the sixth congressional district which mm. is currently um, represented by Democrat Jason Crow, he won it last year. This was this if there is a district I think in Colorado that still is kind of purplish, I think this is the district. It went mm. from Mike Kaufman, a Republican who had, had had represented this for several years, to Jason
2: Crow, who defeated him in last cycle's blue wave. They will for sure want to hang on to that. So it could be interesting.
1: Exactly. And and Crowe is a moderate Democrat. Um, and, and I know that the Democratic caucus is also interested in making sure those moderates that won stay in office uh, continue on. And I think that's going to be part of the challenge. I think at one point, Republicans were targeting this as a seat that they could get back. I'm not sure that we'll still be in their pickup zone uh, this year, just given the amount of money Crow has in his war chest. So that should be an interesting race to watch as well.
0: Yeah, that'll be one of the places where we see if that blue wave you know, stays as far as it washed up the beach or if it kind of recedes a little bit in the future. Maybe it won't happen this cycle, but certainly somewhere to watch. Uh, I've been spending my time up and down the front range from Weld County down to southern Arapahoe County, kind of looking for how those suburban voters are are splitting and indeed whether the blue wave has sustained power. You know, for, for one thing, I was down in southern Arapaho County looking at this area that was once solidly Republican and now looks to be pretty closely competitive. And what interested me about that area was that the way voters perform there won't just, you know, determine whether local state Republicans are able to hold on to their seats and hold on to some power, but also could have a big effect on whether a Cory Gardner can hold on on a statewide basis because those are the folks who are those very rare things we call uh, we call swing voters.
2: Not as many uh, these days. You know, we're seeing more polarization, but still certainly people are yeah. It's not going to be it. a thing completely of the past.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, driving around those neighborhoods, I found plenty of people with sharply partisan views, who wanted nothing to do with the other guys, but I found some of those mythical split ticket voters who said they're still willing to, you know, a lot of them were pretty strongly anti-Trump, but they said they still wanted to consider Republicans down the ticket. So that could be important for, again, your Cory Gardners and your Republican state lawmakers.
2: Elections are obviously decided by voters, and we just wanted to make sure over the summer to really spend time talking to voters and being out and about in Colorado, in different communities, and different regions, and talk to as many people as we can and hear what they're thinking, hear what's going on in their lives. We've all experienced so much change as a country in the last few months, and so as we kick off this new season of the show, um, let's talk a little bit about what we've learned and how it shaped what we may be thinking about the election or yeah. just things that have really stuck with us so Andy what's what's stuck with you as you've been out there
0: yeah I've, I've been thinking of this segment as how I spent my summer or a purplish show and tell the thing that has stuck with me I've I've heard this about once a day when I've been out in the field reporting it's been the word civil war and mm-hmm. I don't mean that in an alarmist way it's not everybody saying this but I'll I'll run into at least one voter who is just deeply concerned about the division in America to the point that they now have this idea of militant combat on their minds. And let me share with you this clip from a, a voter named Steve Turleike in Arepo County. I was interviewing Steve just about how his district was changing and Democrats in the suburb Let's listen to this clip and, and listen to how he suddenly pivots from that pretty standard discussion into something way darker.
3: Yet they continue, you know, there's Californians that are moving out because they don't like what's going on in California, but uh, tend, to, uh, tend to move here and then vote the same way, thinking it like, won't happen again. Um, I don't know. The, to me, the country is pushing very much to be a pre-Civil War, 1850s type of uh, um, polarization. And I think if it keeps pushing this way and there's pushback from the middle class, there's going to be something more than a war of words. Hmm. It's my thing. I mean, that's why there's no guns on the shelves, there's no ammo on the shelves. And at one point in time, um, I don't know whether it'd be in my lifetime or in another decade, or a riot down the street that'll strike it, but uh, the left is pushing much too hard, much too hard. I don't really care what they do. Just don't do it to me.
2: Wow. Yeah, I've I have not heard anyone ever use that term when I've been interviewing folks. They haven't said specifically a civil war or talked this darkly. Mm -hmm. I've definitely heard Republicans and more conservative voters feel like Democrats are pushing too hard, but haven't heard this language. Yeah,
1: I'll agree with what Benta said. That's what I've been hearing as well. I mean, there are Republicans who don't like the pace or the direction that they think that Democrats are going in, and they're trying to push back against that, but not not in those terms.
0: Yeah, and again, let me put some context on that. Not a regular thing that we're hearing, but it's with far more frequency than I've ever encountered it interviewing voters across many election cycles at this point. And it certainly shows you where people's heads are at. By the way, this is not people saying, I'm going to go to war myself. When I've asked voters about this, they they say, no, I'm probably, you know, if we lose this election, I'm just going to kind of sit here and be mad. But they're concerned that, you know, other people, one or two or three relationships removed from them are ready to do more. We're encountering this, by the way, on the right and on the left, I've heard it.
2: I mean, definitely. I've talked to Democrats who were, very, very nervous that if Trump loses and it's not by a wide margin or if it's in a state that's predominantly vote by mail, that people may not accept the results of that election. And also Democrats feel that he is dividing the country. He's not unifying anyone. He hasn't um, tried to bring people together because of COVID and Black Lives Matter and everything else and that that he's stoking kind of the worst instincts. And so they're also nervous about what could happen and they blame people on the right and Trump supporters.
0: Yeah, so this whole idea of a civil war is really a looking glass where you can see the worst fears of both sides. For the right, it's this really unfounded belief that a large number of leftists are coming to their suburbs and and starting a riot to take things over. On on the left, it's this fear of an authoritarian takeover of the government. And to add to all this, you've got these small but intense confrontations that we're seeing in downtown areas where it's, you know, geared up, armored protesters squaring off against counter protesters who are often armed and wearing camouflage. So you can certainly see where people are getting the images of this kind of extreme divide.
1: I think this also goes into this issue that while, you know, Democrats and Republicans have these fears, there's also this large chunk in Colorado of unaffiliated that just want sort of normal, dare I say it, boring leadership. This is one of the things that I've heard uh, while I was traveling around uh, the Western Slope. Mm. They're just sick of all the partisanship. They're sick of all the sniping. And they just want some people that can lead. I spoke with Ryan Larkin. He was an unaffiliated voter in Carbondale. You know, I asked him, what's he looking for this fall? And this is what he had to say.
0: Getting competent leadership? (laughs) You know, I'm not into conspiracy theories. You know, I want people that can work with each other and have a humane conversation.
1: So basically, he thinks politics has gotten far too partisan. And Larkin and a number of the other, especially unaffiliated voters I spoke with, they said they're looking for for politicians with moderation.
0: Yeah, it's funny, I actually talked to another voter in Arapahoe County as well. It was almost the exact same message, like, you know, a voter kind of laughing and saying, like, I just want to get back to normal.
2: Exactly. I heard that a lot. Benta, was that something that you heard? I think I heard that from people across the political spectrum, whether it's coronavirus and Republicans didn't want monuments destroyed and, you know, just life back to normal. I think there's different perspectives on why life isn't normal and Mm. who's really mostly to blame for that and how things have been handled or not. But I think people Mm -hmm. were just pretty exhausted and tired. And People have a lot more stresses that they maybe didn't have a few months ago, depending upon their work situation and their family situation. I think in Colorado, we have seen a shift to Democrats um, in the last cycle at the state legislature, statewide races, congressional races. And this this election, You know, Republicans aren't necessarily expecting it to be a great cycle in Colorado. Mm. But some of them did feel a little bit disillusioned in the sense that they felt that they couldn't express their views and that it wasn't welcome hmm. and um, I talked to a woman Amy Carlson she has two children and she lives in Highlands Ranch which is a conservative area but Highlands Ranch is a place that Democrats are starting to compete in and spend some money in for the first time and she plans to support President Trump again she feels like she you know doesn't like his personal style but you know, she backs some of the things he's done especially on trade and in China and She's struggling with feeling like she has an outlet to talk about it.
0: His interest is the United States as a whole, not special interest group. And I think the Democrats have a problem with that. And we are silenced. I mean, if you so if you talk to individuals, you'll see a lot of voices like mine. But we're silenced because of all these crazy, over the top, outspoken, far left people. That's something that I've encountered in two different ways. And one is like your classic conservative silent majority idea. I remember being in Weld County and trying to get people to talk and one guy goes, sorry, dude, silent majority. And I said, well, I wish you wouldn't be so silent. Um, Right. But then also I've run into people like the the woman who you just played as where they didn't want to talk because they worried about what would happen on the next door app or they worried what their neighbors would say. Uh, So sometimes it's like distrust of media. Sometimes it's fear of being criticized for all the stuff Trump does they don't want to talk about
1: it's the cancel culture he's talking about (laughs) like people are, are are sort of sometimes reluctant to go on the record because oh my neighbor's gonna hear that and then they're gonna think you know differently of me because of what I said or like unfriend me or something like that
2: yeah and I think people know even if they support the president that a lot of people don't support him and that he says things that can be divisive so it's People are wary of sometimes wading into that space.
0: Yeah. And the question is whether you see that as cancel culture or just getting criticized for your beliefs.
1: Well, so one of the things, though, I find interesting, I found interesting about what she said. And and now this is probably going to be what Amy is talking about. Like, I think when when both sides have been talking about one another, they do use like sort of language that can be somewhat insulting or incendiary. Like she's calling them crazy. And, And I've heard, you know, Democrats talk about Republicans as being crazy. And I think that doesn't help sort of the the political discourse in general.
3: Mm.
0: Caitlin. what you were just speaking to was, yeah, a perfect example of this rise of negative partisanship where people just really dislike the other party more and more. And yeah, I heard from lots of moderates as well who just say, okay, I wish we could turn down the temperature of this conversation. And that gets back to our conversation earlier. It makes me wonder what will they see as the path back to what they see as normal? In other words, do they think it's President Trump bringing law and order and, and uh, doing whatever he's saying he's going to do to calm things down in the cities or do they see it as Joe Biden with his unifier message.
2: And I think it's worth noting that there's plenty of solid Republicans and Democrats that also really want to turn the temperature down and they may not be really far on that spectrum far right far left Mm. um maybe they're not moderate exactly but they're in that camp of people that it's like can we get back to more
0: normalcy well whoever figures that one i'm all for that (laughs) (laughs) well we can't finish up an episode of purplish these days without my personal favorite segment it's known as wait What? (laughs) And what we do in this segment is we dig up just an interesting piece of audio or a fact that made us pause and scratch our heads for a second, and we share it with you. Um, My entry is the latest in ongoing efforts by Republicans to come up with a really good nickname for John Hickenlooper, the Democratic Mm. candidate for U.S. Senate and former governor. It
2: seems like it wouldn't be that hard with the last name Hickenlooper. There's a
0: lot to work with. Previously, they had uh, Joyride John, which was about his trips on corporate jets. Let me share with you one of the latest National Republican ads against Hickenlooper. Political flimflam artist, ethics lawbreaker, tax dodger extraordinaire. With slick shady John Hickenlooper, the corruption never ends, and RSC is responsible. That was for slick of the shady John Hickenlooper, <laughs> complete with some kind of graffiti logo and this like terrible stock hip hop beat. Which I guess is all supposed to be a reference to Slim Shady, Eminem? I think so, We're, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: we
0: got a lot going on there. Tell me what you guys think.
1: There was a lot there. Um, you know, I have to say, like, while I'm not a huge supporter of these like political nicknames, I think it's sort of kind of stupid in some ways. But, like, I you think Republicans would be a little bit better at this. Like, the Joyride John thing, I remember when that came out, I was like, who are they talking about? Like, does anyone ever call him John? He's always been Hick and Looper. Or Hick, right? Like...
2: Yeah, I would agree name? with that. I think if you talk to a typical person in Colorado, they'd say, "John, which John?"
0: Now, I think the nicknames, like ultimately, are probably not important. And moreover, they're just beating him over the head with this accusation that he's got these ethics problems. But I do think there's a lot to work with again with Slickin' Looper. It's right. Maybe that's not good. But <laughs>
2: well, I mean, it, it's definitely taking a playbook out of the president because he's known for doing that. And sometimes it does stick and works as a way to brand someone negatively.
0: A lot on the left have done it too. Look at Cardboard Cory.
2: Well, but that's more of like, that's actually
1: Cardboard Cory. <laughs> like That's a little Cardboard Cory that goes around. It's not like they that's, haven't that's really a gotten a Cory Gardner. That, uh,
0: a liberal group made of Senator Cory Gardner to kind of illustrate that he is supposedly not present for, uh, for various events and they <laughs> carry him around and people <laughs> ask questions. Yeah,
2: even though it is a literal <laughs> Cardboard Cory kind of also serves as a nickname too which I don't I don't know if that was their intention but
0: well mm. that's my What we'll, we will be keeping an eye on all the latest political nicknames and uh, grading them in the future of purplish um, <laughs> let's wrap this one up guys hope
1: not <laughs>
0: learn about becoming a member and join today at cpr.org I'm Andrew Kenney with my colleagues Benta Berklin and Caitlin Kim this episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and John Pino and edited by Megan Verlee. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music.
2: If you're enjoying Purplish, help others find us. Like and review the show on iTunes. And to keep up with everything we've talked about this week and more, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Benta Berkland.
0: I'm at Andy K-N-N-Y.
2: I'm at Caitlin Kim. And if you're a
1: Colorado voter, We want to hear from you. Fill out a short survey at our website to tell us what matters to you in this election. Go to CPR.org and scroll all the way down to the How We Cover the News section at the bottom. We'll be in your feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News.